Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Great to see you this morning. I hope you're glad to be here. But even if you're not yet, I hope you will be by the time we've listened to God's Word and allowed the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts. Well, I, um, I would really encourage you if you didn't listen to Sally's or we haven't already heard Sally's message from last week to go back and have a listen to that on YouTube or through our app. Um, it really was a great message. We're doing a little bit of a mini-series on law and grace. And so Sally last week had a look at what the law contern- contains and the, and the purpose of the law and then finished up by looking at how Jesus came and fulfilled the law on our behalf. So in a sense, um, my message today is going to be very similar but it's also going to be very different in that the focus will be a little bit different today. And I'm calling this message undeserved, undeserved. It's a message about grace. And I'm just wondering, you know, at the start, have you ever received something that is undeserved? I mean, maybe it was a good thing or maybe it was a bad thing, but it was undeserved. I mean, I was thinking the other day about something that, about an illustration for this and I was Reminded of something that happened many, many, many years ago and um, we had just moved Ashari and Hannah, our two oldest children, into a bedroom together having, you know, done all the decorating and all that sort of thing that you do and themed it and it was awesome. And then on the wall appeared graffiti. Now the graffiti was green but literally I saw red. I, I was like, I was fuming. And I think on the graffiti, it might have even had a name. Might have had Hannah on there. So I asked Ashari if she knew anything about it. Now, Ashari, just to give you a bit of context, she's our golden child. Okay, she was the one that was just always super willing to please, always helpful, et cetera, et cetera. Hannah wasn't the opposite of a golden child, but she was certainly a lot more stubborn and not always so compliant. And um, anyway, so... It was more likely in my thinking that it was going to be Hannah than Ashari. And so having heard, you know, straight from Ashari's mouth, that was Hannah, I just proceeded to, you know, be jury, judge and executioner to poor little Hannah who at the time was actually asleep, in her bed, just asleep. So she got woken up with a start and and got a severe dressing down and whatever other punishment was due at the time, I can't remember. But um, that was that. Problem solved. We weren't going to get any more graffiti on our wall, not from Hannah anyway. And then a little while ago, there was another graffiti incident in our house. And it was two culprits or two potential people that were involved. One was Michaela and one was Isabella. Now, on the wall, amongst other scribblings and pictures, was the name Isabella. And so, you know... It was most likely Isabella, right? Well, no. Michaela, thankfully, owned up that it was her and she was just trying to get Isabella into trouble. At which point, Ashari, now an adult, pipes up and goes, oh, this reminds me of that time I got Hannah in trouble. (laughs) The poor kid. I mean, I'm I'm still repenting. I am still apologising. She's over it. She remembers it. She says she doesn't hold anything against me, but I could not blame her if she did, seriously. Um, totally, totally, totally undeserved. And then there's being receiving things undeserved the other way. You know, many parents, I guess, um, give their kids way more than they deserve. 
way more than they could ever earn or justify or entitled to, simply out of love. I mean, that's part of the nature of being a parent, hopefully, is, you know, we love our kids. And so our heart's desire, sometimes to their detriment, is to do good things for them, things they don't deserve. And the problem there is that, you know, and in both those situations, the problem is that our capacity to determine what we or others deserve is actually distorted and can differ greatly from what is true about what we actually deserve. You know, some people think that they deserve to be mistreated or abused or taken advantage of because they have a very low opinion of themselves and so they don't question it. They just put up with all sorts of nonsense because they feel they deserve it. Other people have a great sense of entitlement and they have very unrealistic ideas about what they deserve and how the world owes them a living, etc., etc., etc. And like I said, that happens because of our inability to see things truly, to see them as they really are. And so we think and we feel and we act according to what we think we or others deserve or don't deserve. And the same applies with God's law. When we come to God's law and read it, or we see it applied throughout history, we see that there are many interpretations, there are many applications, and there are ultimately many responses to the Word of God. Many of them missing the mark because we don't see truly. Only God knows what we truly deserve. And only God knows what we truly don't deserve. Which is why Jesus came to earth. In John chapter 1, verse 16, 17, reading from the English Standard Version, it says this, From his, or Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and that's what Sally unpacked last week. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so I just want to have a little bit of a look at that, this whole idea of Jesus coming in grace and truth. And I want to start with truth. Because Jesus affirmed a few truths around God's law. Remember, he comes knowing perfectly, seeing perfectly, understanding perfectly. And so he's probably someone to be worth listening to when he speaks about the law. He's not going to overplay it and he's not going to underplay it. He's going to say it like it is. And the first thing that we pick up from Jesus is that the law is absolute. It's absolute in that it's all-encompassing. The whole world is held accountable to the one true God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. I think Sally might have quoted from this last week, but, um, you know, Jesus talking about, you've heard it said, don't murder. And he says, but I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And many times Jesus uses that, that phraseology. I tell you this, or you may have heard that, but I tell you that everyone or anyone. And so the language is very inclusive. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 19, if we could put it up here, I think I might have got this around the way. But it says, now that we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So ultimately, he is the one who is deciding what we do or don't deserve. So it's absolute, it's all-encompassing, but it's also enduring. Jesus said about the law in Matthew 5, 18, I tell you the truth, 
until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will, be any, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In other words, that's, the law is going to outlast you and me, basically. Okay, It's going to apply right through our lifetime for a long time to come yet in all likelihood. But the whole world, all people are accountable and held by the law. So the second thing besides the law being absolute is that it cannot save. The law cannot save us. It can only reveal our need. Um, Jesus, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, he's talking about a whole bunch of different things regarding the law and what they'd heard previously and, and you know, the Ten Commandments. And then he, he sort of, as Sally talked about last, he, he raised the bar. He kind of said, you know, like I said, it wasn't just about, you know, not killing someone now. It's not about hating them either. And so Jesus is, is really just messing with people's heads, frightening them, really. Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. In five, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 20, he says, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this is an, these guys were the good guys. These were the ones that everyone was aspiring to be like. And Jesus said, look, you've got to be better than them because they're not going to make it. Based on the law, they're finished. They're not making it into heaven. So be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the law is not the problem. Ultimately, the law is good. The problem is us. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. You know, we, I'm sure, much of the time have great intentions, but we never are able to fulfill and completely live up to the law. Under the law, we are justly condemned because we do lie, we do cheat, we do hate, we do get into all sorts of stuff that Jesus said, if you do that, you're in trouble. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Galatians chapter 3, 19 talks about that that the, the, the law um, is there to, to lead us. It's like a schoolmaster. It's there to direct us until we come to know Christ. And so by the time Jesus had finished talking about the law and bringing the truth, the bad news, if you like, people who maybe were thinking they were doing okay suddenly realised that they were not doing so okay anymore. And those people who thought they were doing badly before, well, they had all their illusions shattered if it was about fulfilling the law. It was far worse than people first thought through their understanding of the Ten Commandments and this, all the 613 Old Testament laws and all the other ones that had been added along the way by the Pharisees in their pursuit to please God. But thankfully, Jesus didn't come just in truth, but he came in grace and truth. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, 
so that we might be justified by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about it's by grace that we were saved through faith and this not of ourselves so that no one would boast. It's about God and his initiation, his plan and purpose is being fulfilled in our life, not about us somehow lifting ourselves up by our shoelaces or climbing into heaven by our efforts, but about God initiating and putting into place a plan that was extremely inclusive. Faith, grace through faith. So grace, you probably have heard before, maybe you haven't, if you don't know what it means, simply means undeserved favour. In other words, this grace that we receive, there's nothing we can do to earn it, there's nothing about us that warrants it, and there's nothing that entitles us to receiving grace. Okay, the moment there is, it's no longer grace. You know, Paul talks about this in Romans, it becomes a wage. If you earn something, what you get is a wage. Okay, but a gift is freely given and freely received. And so grace is a gift. It's undeserved. And it's favour. It's not like the gift I gave Hannah when when she woke up unexpectedly. It's something good. It's favourable. It's something positive that is done for us. Psalm 103 verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities or our sins or our wrongdoings. And so God is gracious and he's not treating us as our sins deserve. You know, so what is grace? Well, it's, it's God's tendency to move towards us. And to work on our behalf when we haven't earned it, don't deserve it, can't warrant it, aren't entitled to it. We need to remember that. We know that, don't we, before we become a Christian. And that's the message we hear. That's why we become a Christian generally for for those of us that have made that decision. We recognise we bought nothing. We're finished apart from Jesus. And I want to remind us of that today, that we bring nothing. We respond in faith to the goodness of of God who has moved towards us, even when our behaviour would cause most people to move away from us, where the attitudes, our words, would cause others to move away, God moves in because he's loving and he's good. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. Matthew chapter 5, 17, Jesus said this, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, that law, that really hard law that you need to be perfect to fulfil. Don't look at that staying. But I'm going to come and fulfil it. And we understand that he fulfilled it, not just because he was looking for something to do. It's getting a little bit bored in eternity. I know what I do. I give myself a challenge and go and fulfil the law on earth. No, it was for us because we could not fulfil it. We needed someone else to fulfil it on our behalf. God moves towards us and he works on our behalf. Grace is given on the basis of who we are, not on the basis of what we do. And again, I think parenting is a great thing here. Now, I know not everyone's a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents, but I know some, you know, struggle to love their kids and so on. But all things being equal, you know, there's a love 
that we have for our kids that motivates us far beyond what they earn, far beyond what they deserve. Our heart's desire for our kids is to bless them, it's to do good things for them, it's to be favourable towards them. I mean, that's the, isn't that one of the hardest things as a parent? I mean, I'm, I'm willing my kids to, you know, not do dumb stuff and to, to be kind to each other. But even though I know that they're messing up and even though they're frustrating me, stupid me continues to be gracious and sometimes perpetuates the problem, no doubt, because, you know, again, the thing, the spoilt child is the thing. But interestingly, it's a risk that God is willing to take with us. You know, grace is hard for us to accept, just the fact that God loves us because of who we are, not on the basis of what we're doing for him or not doing because he's asked us to. You know, we tend by nature to tend, we, we, we tend to err on the side of legalism, all of us. It's funny, even those that want to get rid of the law and, and live their own way and live in freedom, it's amazing how vindictive and nasty they can get towards people that don't agree with them. We're all legalists by nature. We're always keeping score. We're always looking at, you know, how am I going? What have I done? Am I better than that person? Am I worse? And, you know, we, we, we rise up in self-righteousness or we, or we beat ourselves up in self-condemnation based on this perception we have of whether we're doing good or bad. It's interesting. It goes right back to the garden. There's only one tree they didn't need to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we have been having our teeth set on edge, as it were, by that fruit ever since. We gravitate towards the knowledge of good and evil and we find it difficult to receive and to give grace. We beat ourselves up or we beat others up. We either think of ourselves more highly than we ought or we put ourselves below others. But grace is just based on the fact that we are who we are. God created us in his image. It gives us tremendous value. He loves us on the basis of that and that alone. doesn't mean he loves it when we mess up, but it's not the basis on which he's wanting to relate with us. He wants to be our father. He wants to relate to us on the basis of the fact that we are his kids. Grace is not a fallback position for failed Christians. You know, we come in, we know it's all about grace. We hear and we read the Bible and we hear stories and, and, and hear sermons and we, and we can get the impression that now I'm a Christian, I need to do better, I need to be better, I need to try harder <clears throat> because God wants me to be holy and perfect and all those sort of things. And look, absolutely, it's, it's, it's awesome when people are holy, when, when, they, when they are treating other, one another well and not stealing and lying and doing all that sort of stuff. But if we ever think that we grow beyond grace, we are well and truly mistaken. <laughs> grace is not a fallback for failing Christians. Grace is the only position for all Christians. <laughs> we never, ever, 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 ever graduate beyond our need for grace. Now, all things being equal, if, you know, if we're around for another 20, 30, 40, 50 years on this planet, all things being equal, you will become a better person. People will be thanking God for you and the way that your life intersects with theirs. Maybe you'll get a good reputation. Maybe your life will get easier. Maybe there'll be more peace going on inside and all that sort of stuff. 
But it's all measures. It's not perfection. Because you can have an awesome day one day. You can get up. You can feel like reading your Bible. And you can read extra. And you can pray extra. And you can do that because you got up super early because you wanted to prioritise God on that day and you'd set your alarm. And you can go to work and you can be just the best employee and you can make everyone feel great about themselves and you can, you know, give money to the people that need it on the side of the road or whatever on the way there or on the way home. You can have an awesome day. (laughs) And then there's the next day. And your alarm goes off because you want to do that day again in Jesus' name. But you reach for the snooze button. Not just once, but 30 times. (laughs) And then you get up and now you're panicked because you're already late for work. So, of course, you're a Christian, so you're going to read your Bible before going to work, right? No. And you're not going to pray other than maybe, get that person out of the way, Lord. I've got to get to work. And so you walk into work, you're stressed out and you're, you're beating up on people and you're being angry and short and... You know what it's like. So our good days are counted by our bad days. It's not perfection. We never grow past our need for grace. It's good to remember that. That God wasn't impressed and looking to be impressed in the first instance. He loves us as we are. He's a realist. And if we can remember that, we won't be so hard on ourselves perhaps. At our point of need, God is always sufficient, whether we earn it or not, whether we feel we're up for it or not, whether we feel we qualify or not. God is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 12, we quote it many, many times from here. But, you know, when Paul was struggling with this thorn in the flesh, and he's asking God, take this thing away, whatever it is, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's your weakness that is drawing you to me. It's your weakness that leaves the most room for my glory to be seen. And yet often we don't want weakness. We want strength. We don't want stuff-ups. We want holiness. And again, there's nothing wrong with that at one level. But the trouble is the focus can shift back in Christianity can suddenly become all about us rather than all about Jesus. So God is the sufficient one. His grace means that he will always be filling the gap between what I need and what I have, between who ideally I should be and who I am. That's the grace of God working in our lives through situations and circumstances by his spirit. He's so good. I was talking to someone just this week. They had had a horrible week, a terrible week. They had done some things they were not proud of and they had already had bad relationships with their neighbours but they suddenly went to a whole other level of bad. They were beating themselves up as they were laying in bed that night, rang me, chatted a bit, and then a couple of days later we caught up and he just said, you know, some good things happened this week. Just out of the blue, some people rang and just encouraged me. Someone actually bought me a box of chocolates, just in appreciation for, and they just said, I just want you to know I really appreciate you. He said, an old workmate rang. And just out of the blue, he said, I've just been thinking of you. And I meant to ring you for ages, but I just wanted to ring you and just tell you, I, I think you're a great guy. I really appreciate it. I love working with you. 
It's like totally out of the blue. No logical reason for it. Three in the course of a day. That's the grace of God. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. I mean, he was beating up badly on himself. I mean, I don't know how, you know, some people get to that point and end it all. Now, I don't know that he was there, but thanks be to the grace of God. There's those little mercy droppers that come into our life and we, you know, and again, we can write it off because it's coincidence. We can be so wallowing that we miss it. But I think as Christians, as those that follow a loving and a gracious God, that we can expect to see goodness in the land of the living, as it were. We can expect to see, even in the midst of the most horrible situations, to see evidence of the grace of God intersecting with our lives, often in, in ways that we would never expect. So I guess I just want to conclude with a question. Are you living today under law or grace? Like I don't mean are you a Christian? I mean obviously if we're not a Christian, we are living under law. Okay, But if we're a Christian, we have made a choice to follow God and receive his grace. But we can slip back as though we're living under law. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we all face as a Christian. You know, if we, and I just want to give a few little ways that might be helpful to, for you to determine where you're living. Not so that we can all go, oh, you idiot, you're living under law. No. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, this is to be helpful It's because it's, it's good for us to, to know ourselves. I mean, I love Paul in the sense that, you know, again, many people could be forgiven for thinking, as I said, that to go to church and become a Christian, it's all about being better. It's all about being more self-confident, more aware of what you have and all that, etc. All right? Um, because maybe because of the way that some people have conducted themselves that they're aware of. But the truth is, the longer you're a Christian, the more you know God, the less you think of yourself in a good way. You're not impressed with yourself. You, you know that, yes, I've had a good day today, but Lord, tomorrow could be a different story. I need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower me. Help me to be and to see as you are and as you see and to speak and to think as you speak and think. In fact, Lord, Express yourself through me. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Apart from him, I have no hope. There's no hope of God getting glory out for me other than the spirit within me. It's messy outside of him. And so if I am under law, my focus is on myself. I mean, I believe in God, but all the pressure is on me to perform. The pressure is on me to remain faithful, to be good to keep up my devotion, my Bible reading, my prayer, to be generous, to all, all of the things, all the to-do lists that many people think equates to being a Christian, the pressure becomes on us to do and perform those things. In other words, we're trying hard to be and to look like Jesus. And hey, that's, is that a bad thing? I mean, you know, we say, look, we want to be like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. The trouble is just people trying to be and look like Jesus can look real ugly if it's in their own strength and they're wearing themselves out and getting bitter and twisted and angry because people aren't responding the way they want them to. And I'm being gracious for goodness sake. Excuse me. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> I'm being gracious. You should be responding far better than that. What is wrong with you, you idiot? 
I mean, that's, you know, our spirituality, it just, you know, it just fluctuates, doesn't it, on our behaviour, on our, on our perception of how well we're doing. And so, you know, if, if I feel I'm doing well, I can be a good Christian, positive, upbeat, polite, expectant. But then when I'm not feeling so good because I didn't turn off the alarm and or on the alarm and well, I did turn off the alarm, etc., etc., suddenly my confidence takes a beating. The way I approach life begins to fluctuate a little bit because I'm thinking, is God or isn't God pleased with me? Will he bless me or will he punish me today? So the upshot of that is if I'm living under law, I'm likely to live a life that is, involves more often than not stress and worry and sadness. Now, I don't, I'm not talking circumstantial stuff. I'm talking about at a deep level. I mean, you can be having an awesome life. And we heard about Mac last week in his, in his testimony, how on the outside, life was awesome for him. He's living in different states, living in different parts of the world, earning heaps of money, living the high life, and yet inside, stressed, worried, unhappy. Because there's a sense in which we know, we know that we live under a, under a heaven with a God who does hold us accountable. And if we don't know him through Christ, that doesn't inspire confidence, inspires fear. But if we're living under grace, our focus is on Christ. It's not about my performance, it's about his performance on my behalf. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When he sees me, he actually sees what Jesus has done. All the good things Jesus has done are credited to my account. I can choose to believe that or I can choose to keep striving in my own strength. It's about his faithfulness. When I'm faithless, he will remain faithful. Like I, I, you know, our faith, again, fluctuates. Sometimes it fluctuates because we're living under the law and we're worried about our behaviour and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you just have a good day and everything's awesome and sometimes not so. But he's always faithful. He won't let us go. He's got our back. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God expressed in Christ Jesus. His goodness on our behalf. And recognising that really, you know, the, the money is not at me trying to be like more Jesus, be more like Jesus. It's, it, it's really about me leaving room for him to express himself through me. It's Christ in me, as I said, the hope of glory. He's in me. Now, I can, I can shut him down by being all about my agendas or I can take a step back and say, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to have your way through me today. I want to be sensing your thoughts, your desires, your will and expressing that. The result, surprisingly, is rest. It's peace. It's hope, expectation of good things for the future. And it's joy. So where are we living? Again, it's not, it's not to bring any condemnation. It's just some of just, we just need to make little adjustments as we go. And it's as quick as, Lord, I'm sorry, I've, I've slipped back into doing that thing again. I've, I've, I've devolved from grace back into law. It's, it's, a, it's our human nature we, that Paul is always there and we just need to be aware of it. And that's why we read our Bible and that's why we pray and that's why we come to church. 
Because it's great to get those reminders because we drift. Just a, a couple of side notes. You know, focusing on the law does not help us to overcome sin. Sometimes we think that. We've got, I'm a Christian. It's inappropriate for me to be doing this or that. If I'm a Christian, I need to try hard to beat that thing, to overcome that sin, whatever it might be. <laughs> but interestingly and paradoxically, focusing on the thing that we need to overcome is actually more likely to make us susceptible to sin. I mean, some people, you know, they might be battling with an addiction or whatever, and so they become a Christian and their focus, rather than being all about Jesus, becomes all about overcoming their addiction. And you know what? It's pretty hard to overcome an addiction. And that can be pretty demoralising if you're unable in your own strength to overcome your addiction because maybe other Christians are going to start judging you now and so then you've still got to start pretending you haven't got an addiction. And that's hard. People, when you have got an addiction, you want to go around to someone's house, but, you know, like, this is good, but I'm feeling that addiction kicking in. That's hard. And so some people, it's just too hard. And so they think, I can't be a Christian. It's too hard because they miss the point. And so they give up trying to change. Others overcome their addiction, but the trouble is, there's always another sin just waiting to pop out. You know, like, like you might get the, you know, get total victory in one area, and then pride comes to the fore. Then you then you become a pain in the backside to other people because you're telling them all about what you did and how much Bible you read and how much you prayed and how they should just do this and they should just do that and they should just be like you. And isn't that sin? Like you've just exchanged sins. You haven't become any more righteous in God's sight. You haven't become a better person. You've just become religious. And so if we focus on sin and overcoming sin, we're always going to get it wrong. And it actually, believe it or not, betrays a low view of the law, not a high view. Some people say, I've got a high view of the law. I'm trying and I will succeed. I will better be a better person. I'll overcome this and I will do that. It's not high. Because if you still think you can do it, that's actually your view of the law is too low. Jesus already told us we can't do it. Be perfect. As God your Father in heaven is perfect. The other thing, I guess, is that does grace, a revelation of grace, does it produce lawless Christians? You know, Romans chapter one, uh, 6, verses 1 to 18 talks about that. You know, some say, oh, well, you know, let's sin all the more. The grace can abound. And Paul's going, no, no, that's not it. I don't know really too many Christians who are really appreciative of what God has done in their lives that are saying, what can I get away with? I don't know too many people who get married and and... And, you know, like, what can I get away with? How far can I go before I'm committing adultery? You know, what, what can I get away with? That's, most Christians I know do struggle with various sins in their lives, but they're not proud of it. They're not trying to push the boundaries. They're actually pleading with God to help them. That's not license, licentiousness. That's not a license to sin. That's not lawlessness. That's just life. And as long as we keep our eyes on him, we can maintain the peace and the joy in the midst of our frustrations. It's interesting. The more aware God's, of God's grace, of how much we don't deserve what he's given us, it's actually a great motivator. It actually motivates us towards love for him. It actually motivates us towards change because if our focus is on him, we're not thinking about all the things we shouldn't be doing. And it actually helps us in turn. When I'm aware of how much I need Jesus daily Gee, 
that motivates me to be a little bit more gracious to others and to extend a little bit more love to others who are in the same boat. In the same boat. And as you're doing that, as you're living that type of life, it's amazing how suddenly the things that you used to struggle with, you know, the impatience, the lack of grace, suddenly rather than, oh, I've got to be patient, suddenly it's like you look back and go, oh, wow, I've been more patient lately. And it's because our focus is on him. Isaiah chapter 53, just in concluding, we're talking about undeserved. This is Jesus receiving what was undeserved. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Blasphemer, getting what he deserves. Do-gooder, getting what he deserves. Why didn't he mind his own business? That was the tone on the day of Jesus' Jesus' crucifixion for many. But he was smitten, sorry, he was uh, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What Jesus experienced, undeserved. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's a beautiful thing that we have the knowledge of all that Jesus has done on our behalf to save us, to bring us into a relationship with God, to secure our future to be always with us, to rest in the truth that he saves us and he will keep us. And we're going to have a time of worship in just a moment. And I just want us to respond in our hearts to God's gracious offer. If you, as as Sally gave the opportunity last week, if you do not know Jesus and you are feeling today is the day I want to make that call, please, as we sing, just come to the front. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Maybe, maybe you do know Jesus, but maybe you've recognised I've, I've slipped back under law. And again, sometimes it's nice to just to just draw a line in the sand and make a make a move. Say, God, I'm I'm I just want to want your help on that. So again, we're going to just open up the front here. If you want to come forward and just feel like God, oh, I just want to do some business with you and help me to see where I've slipped back under the law, where I've failed to see grace, and my life is taking a hit because of it. And I guess the other thing I just want to put out there is, you know, Matt got baptised last week. You know, sometimes we're a Christian. We've, you know, we undeniably know and love and, and are living for God. But it's awesome when we get together and we hear a testimony and we, and we go see a person go through the waters of baptism. Maybe that's something. I want you to think about that too if you haven't. If since making a decision to be a follower of Jesus, you have not been baptised, I want you to think, be thinking about that today as well. Not because you have to, but because Jesus asked us to. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.